Last time on Video Night. Uh, on with the show. And now. Video Night. Hey there, Michael. What's going on? Do you like Tarantino movies? Do I like Tarantino movies? I like Tarantino movies. Not Guy Ritchie movies. No, damn it, you ruined Not the Guy joke. Ritchie. I was going to go, I like Tarantino movies. So, <laughs> damn it. Um, so yeah, I like Tarantino You're movies doing so Guy much Ritchie. that I like Guy <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I can't stand Guy Ritchie. <laughs> I will never. You can't? I cannot for a second stand his movies. Not one. I, I, the fact that he's directing Aladdin, I'm out. I don't, I don't, I can't. Why would you be on board with the live action Aladdin anyway? Anyway, that's Well, a, that's true. Topic, well, it's kind of interested in Dumbo. I was interested in Dumbo because of Tim Burton, but just because of Tim Burton. But no, I'm not on board with the Disney. How did we get here? How did we get here already? Yeah, we are you, one Guy minute Ritchie. into this. <laughs> and you derail into because <laughs> you're Guy Ritchie hate. Yeah. I like Guy Ritchie for the record. I do. You like do. Him. You He's well. You like a lot of the early style. stuff, right? You don't like the Sherlock Holmes yeah, and yeah. the. Well, I know a lot of people stand. Well, for, no, I like the Sherlock Holmes. You? Okay. okay, but they're not my favorite. But I think a lot of his career anyway. is owed to the success of uh, Tarantino. If those movies weren't successful, I don't see a company really? backing his. Hmm. Was British crime movies were they taking off before? Well, okay, Train Spotting. Yeah, well, no, way. they did. Well, Train Spotting, yes, definitely. But then they, which isn't exactly a crime, even though it's all kind of crime. They were British gangster movies, but they weren't done in that style. They were very just Cockney dudes. But but, but you can see, I feel like he came along and did yeah, style. I, I, well, he does inter, interweaving stories, right? Especially in the first what three of them that he did or something. So so you think that's Tarantino? I I'll, no, mm, I'm gonna say it got green. Greenlit. Lock, Stock, and Smokey Bros. probably got greenlit because of the success of Tarantino's movies, which a lot of movies got greenlit because of the success. I mean, Pulp Fiction cost $8 million, made like $250 million worldwide. All the small independent companies are going, yes, give us that. And we're just inundated for the next five years with these heavy, heavy influenced Tarantino-style movies. What are the things we're looking for in a Tarantino ripoff? What are the patterns that you see? Okay, all right. First off, it has to have a, because it has it's a time and a place. This is why I think the Guy Ritchie ones are just not quite. The pop culture references are typically seventies and sixties. Yes, and it also takes so, me out of it every single time. It doesn't really? feel authentic. Okay, uh, of the ripoffs. You're no, the ripoffs. About? Okay, okay. So Tarantino has people sitting around. Oh, they, well, in, in Reservoir Dogs, they were talking about Like a Virgin, so that's 80s. But that was more contemporary to its time because it was made in the early 90s or released yeah, in the early Yeah, and there's 90s. like the Lost Boys but, reference. Oh, and the music is heavy part yeah. of it, a lot of retro music. So Yeah, but let's go Pulp Fiction because that was the, the big Right. Hit. So you have 70s uh, or nostalgia-based references, so uh, typically 70s and 60s. Then you have Mafia or Organized Crime sort of things at least around this time interwoven character arcs or stories or chapter breaks yep and it always has a massive amount of people in it usually it's usually a big cast of of either has-beens or up-and-comers and And, you know the has-beens usually people that they want concept yeah Yeah, they they want to fix their classical actor (laughs) christopher walken not not even that it's just stunt casting right yeah it's stunt casting because for... It doesn't feel authentic a lot of times. It feels like they're just doing, well, right. let's, let's go find this guy. It's like, do you actually like him? Do you actually appreciate his work and you want to save his career? That's the difference in Tarantino, is that he spoke that kind of pop culture reference in his world. That was his world. That was authentic. And the fact that he absolutely loved some of these actors that were in these like low-grade, grindhouse, drive-in kind of movies. That's the big difference, yeah. I think. Yeah. And, of course, maybe a, a gun shootout, some sort of violent thing going on, and an explosive violence, yes, too. Yes, it's know? usually out of nowhere. Cause, very, very bloody. Because you have uh, Marvin getting his head shot off in the back of the car in Pulp Fiction. Like, oops, 
and that's really explosive and bloody. And then it's actually plot driving the plot as well. So you kind of want to have stuff that's violent like that. Yeah. To and it, it, also it usually drive happens in a, a big bit. city as well. It's usually L.A. or like you know you know New York, something like that. Some somewhere with a borderline metropolitan because. Right. There's two different worlds of these kind of crime movies during this time period. There's the small town crime, which like the Coen brothers really mastered, and then there's the big city crime where stuff goes on and it's so normal in these big cities that no one really notices or cares. Right. Now, there's one movie that Tarantino didn't make that he wrote that he really hated when it came out, and it was Oliver Stone's... I don't know what you call it. It's... Uh... <sighs> Experiment, I suppose. <laughs> Vertigo Trip, <laughs> which I tried watching again last night, and I couldn't even get through 20 minutes of it without, like, I'm going to eat sick. Well, all the Dutch angles, God, man. It's not just, not the, just Dutch the Dutch angles. It's a, angles. Movie, the it's a movement. moving I like Dutch angle. I saw this in it's theaters. It's a moving Dutch angle, yeah. so it starts in one corner, and then it, like, slides, the camera tilts and slides to the next corner, and it's constant. Yes, and I tried watching this in theaters, and everybody I was with was like, they were fine. I had to look away and just listen for the entire movie. I got sick. Oh, wow. Yeah, why well, I'm getting worse, so, too. As, as I get older, I get triggered more and more by yeah. visual stuff. So Tarantino wrote a bunch of stuff before he got his movies made. Now, one thing that he wrote was Natural Born Killers, which eventually he got published uh, as his own script but there was a fight for it they were like no you can't publish the script because he always publishes the scripts of all the movies that he made or that he wrote so i have sitting around here from dust till dawn he wrote that but he eventually got to do his script for or publish his script for natural born killers which is apparently very different uh it's probably also shooting directions too Maybe. I went down. Uh, but very very different than what Oliver Stone did, which let's just try to describe it a little bit because that's important for the first movie that we're going to talk about. Mickey and Mallory Knox are a young married couple who are on a murder spree because they come from the wrong side of the tracks and they're nihilistic and the world pooped on them and so they're pooping back and taking whatever they want. That's the bare bones of it. The media gets involved and exalts them as a sort of Bonnie and Clyde for the Gen X generation? That's dumb. Generation four, Generation X. Or generation X generation. <laughs> I know. I do stuff like that. I write, I wrote the same word twice in one paragraph. I hate myself. Yeah. Ugh, I'm so literate. Yeah. Well, so the media hoopla all over that as well. At the same time as the movie was just wrapping up, it was in post-production, like the last week of post-production, O.J. Simpson happened. And the O.J. murder happened. Because he murdered her. Come on. Oliver Stone and company were sitting around watching the news and they were like, well, the news is really eating this up. They're watching the Bronco go down the road and they're like, this is natural born killers. Like is art imitating life, imitating art sort of thing. So visually what happens with natural born killers, as you say, it's got too many Dutch angles and, and swirling camera work, but it's not just that. It's so much uh, blue screen or back projection of things that shouldn't be going on. Stuff like yeah, this. Yeah, so it like, seems like a, he's just messing with you making almost you know an air expen- experimental movie a very expensive experimental movie kind of the way the uh, francis ford coppola did with rumblefish even though rumblefish is way more successful it's like he was trying oh, new right. visual yeah. styles and to me it doesn't work i think there's a great but he I wants to do a, every yeah, visual but i think style. there's a great script in there i want him to remake it well right but he even does animation like hard really crazy like the movie heavy metal right 
kind of animation in it. And you have big cameo casts, uh, like Rodney Dangerfield as Mallory's sexually abusive dad. Horrible stuff, and it's the the biggest turn that um, Rodney Dangerfield ever did. So it's got stunt casting in it. It's got just visuals up the yin-yang, and it's, it's incredibly interesting to watch and difficult to watch, depending on your mindset. And so much of it can be boring because it's all so much yeah, I, I'm, not like a fan. Yeah, I'm not a fan of oliver stone he seems to be there's a lot of directors out there during this time period it shot up and got to do whatever they wanted to and it's a lot of style over substance it drives mm-hmm. me nuts well the one that he did after this is great what nixon nixon's phenomenal i mean the, no the no i'm not so, talking about the one directly after oh. but after this that he made one that's actually a film noir sort of thing u-turn u-turn yeah I've heard good things about that U-Turn. Great. I, I watched a little bit no, of it, but I couldn't finish it because I had to go somewhere or whatever, and I never got back yeah, to it. It's super. It's, U-Turn is great. But it has a little bit of really weird camera work, but nothing as disruptive as Natural Born Killers. So why are we talking about Natural Born Killers, dude? Because it... I, and now, I thought this influenced Love in a 45. We swear on the sacrament of our own blood that we will die... <laughs> Before falling into the hands of a law, because dying free is better than living in a cage. Do you love me, Watts? More than anything. More than a preacher loves God? More than Jimmy Swagger loves to sweat. I'm Waddy Watts. Her name is Starlene Cheatham. We specialize in risk management. Plum forgot all about my wife. Alto. Where are we going to go? I was thinking Mexico sounds pretty good. How about you? <gasps> Mexico! Maybe we can practice our Spanish. Darlene, what are you doing? Putting on makeup. In case we get killed over there, I want to make damn sure I look good for those cameras. Right, so, Love in a 45. 
stars Gil Bello, Renee Zellweger, Rory Cochran, and Jeffrey Combs in an amazing turn as a non-Jeffrey Combs type he, of character. He, okay, I'm torn in this movie. I saw this when it first came out because this is when when this movie came out was when I really started getting into the independent movies. Like I was the only like I don't want to say this. I had no friends really, but I was the only like cool kid when it came to movies. So people were always coming to me for movies. Like what do you would you watch? And to tell you the truth, uh, the reason I started getting an independent movie was because of a double feature I rented of The Killer and Reservoir Dogs. Uh, I want to say it was oh, early '93, and you know that led to discovering other things like Freaked and and, and uh, you know True Romance. I remember trying to convince my pastor to take me to True Romance instead, instead of. <laughs> Demolition Man, that did not work. <laughs> um, hey, they're both good. Though. Yeah, only different different types types of good though. But um, <laughs> different, totally different. The, the only Tony Scott movie I like. <laughs> but yeah, Eleven Forty Five was one of those. Like this is when I started grabbing the newspaper at the video store. Do you remember when they used to have actual flyers? The Video Connection had a twelve page newspaper filled with ads and interviews and reviews. It, and, and we're talking huge, like one of those uh, tabloid kind of things. That's that, okay. that size. No, I, I never saw And they that. always had no. a thing in the back that was about independent movies. And they reviewed it, whatever, in Love and 45. They said it was crazy. It was like Tarantino influence. And I was like, the guy who did Reservoir Dogs and True Romance, I got to see this. And right. this is when I started getting the film language down. I started knowing who directors were and writers were and stuff like that. I rented it. And I was like, it's okay. I don't I don't know. Oh, so you didn't really connect nah, to it? No, I didn't huh? really. I was like, this is something. I rented that in the Stone Age at the same exact time. And oh, no. uh, I just remember going, well, I guess Vidmark's trying to go for something. I don't know what it is, but right. I almost like him. And I got the same feeling now. I have huge problems with this movie. But I also just. What What are the I problems? I think Gil Bellows well, is a dud. I think oh, really? Gil, Gil Bellows is such a bland lead. Ah, oh, you're weird. I know. You're a weird. But I also think. I'm telling that, you straight up right but now. But it's almost as weird. if he. He was so dull that Rory Cochran decided to crank it to 10,000, and he's almost too big. I'm going to say it again. I initially thought that you were going to go to Rory Cochran straight up. No. I actually don't have any problem with Gil Bellows. No. I think that he's an even-keeled character because he's just he's just a cute guy I with just, a cute girlfriend. I guess I just didn't care. And I thought Renee Zellweger was fantastic. I thought Jeffrey Cohn was well, off she's, the charts. Of the two, she's, yeah. she is the one that is more animated and lively what i do like about this movie is he he rides this edge where it's really petty low-level crimes that don't really hurt anybody and he never goes in armed in case something happens yeah. he's just never armed he just wants the money he's tired of being in the system yeah i thought that was charming yeah His i like robbing like, like, no, the, the kid and giving yeah. him the gun was charming and the fact that he's an idiot well not an idiot he's loyal loyal to being yeah and then that can sometimes make you stupid and he gets this friend right. of his the sign was there. Right? You, he saw it. He knew it. He ignored it, and that's when everything goes wrong. Yeah. So his friend Roy Cochran, what you were get, what I was getting at, that you already got at, was that he gradually gets crazier and crazier and crazier until he's the loudest crazy. And that is what I thought you were going to have issue with, is the loudest crazy. I, but, I will give you this. He is unbelievably versatile in this time period. I mean, he just came off Days of Confused, and he's going to have Empire Records yeah. after this. Three completely yeah. different roles. Very, very different. Here he's, I think he's on meth, right? Or coke. Um, Either one. He's snorting yeah, something. Yeah, I can't remember. It wasn't coke. Um, that was like some sort of opiates or something like that, but yeah. Yeah, so the Jeffrey Combs character is what you would call a typical sleazy hitman. I don't quite like his partner, actually. <laughs> he's kind of, he's kind of. Pales in comparison. Someone showed uh, up to win the game. The other one just, is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Showed up and to, uh, to play ball back, or whatever. His partner is is very dopey character, while he is the 
also charismatic, but in a very sleazy and loud way. But it's an—it's Jeffrey Combs as you've never seen him before or since. He's fun. He's really fun in this role. But what makes this a Tarantino-like? Because there's a stupid reference in there, isn't there? Like, there's a thing in there that was so obvious and on the nose. I thought, the same thing with Thursday. There's something they say that's a pop culture reference. I go, okay, here we go. But it's also like, yeah. it's just about low level. All the criminals in Tarantino movies always seem to be low level. They're not the big mob bosses. No, right. And even in Kill Bill, Bill is still like a lower level. He's just an assassin. Before, you know, he runs his team of assassins. He's a gun for hire. They always seem like they're almost blue collar criminals, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that does. But... Direct the to video criminals. <laughs> <laughs> the big thing that I picked up on was um, when I don't even remember their names. When Renee and Gil go on the lamb and they're driving cross country because it is a bit of a well across Texas. It is a bit of a, uh, a road movie. So they're driving and the blue screen work. You know, when you're driving in a movie, you want the background that you're projecting or blue screening to go in the same direction as the car is or whatnot, you know. You want it to work that way. And here it works absolutely opposite. They're driving sideways, so the footage is basically you mounted on top of a car going forward. But they're driving sideways. Or vice versa. They're driving forward and the background is sliding across the back. And they did this for a good minute and a half or something. And I was like, this is the natural born killers part of the movie. Like the direct. Not just that there are a couple uh, uh, that had to shoot people. Because this is not Mickey and Mallory crime spree kids. They killed some crooked cops in order to survive. They didn't do it to be evil. Or famous. Which can be both. Or famous. Yeah, which which is the Mickey and Mallory thing. So I think really the biggest part of it is that montage of them driving around. Otherwise, it just seems like the sort of uh, sleepy crime dramas, yeah, com- the crime dramedies that were happening. Oh yeah, the soundtrack is also very contemporary and throwback at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it's, it's a weird mixture because the Tarantino influenced movies usually didn't pick newer songs. He usually went old school. Not usually. Kill really? Bill had a little bit of it. Kill Bill had some no, no, the rip-offs. contemporary the Tarantino stuff. Tarantino rip-offs. I, I, no, oh, okay. I'm, just, I'm just saying gotcha. like Tarantino himself. He didn't get into that kind of anachronistic music until Inglorious Bastards had like David Bowie in it. Right. So yeah. that's weird. I think this one just works like those Southwest crime thrillers and it's a bit more original than you would say most Tarantino knockoffs are. But I think what we've got here on our list are like the cream of the crop. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I went through a list. You know, everybody has now <laughs> a ranker list where it's like, oh, the movies that are like Star Wars or Tarantino that we did with the Aliens movies, uh, the Alien ripoffs. And just looking through them and I go, oh, I don't really, I don't really see it with Suicide Kings except that it has Christopher Walken. Uh, Phoenix, Phoenix is just a noir film about dirty cops, but it doesn't feel like a Tarantino movie at all. Uh, There's a couple of ones. I watched October 22nd, and it has the anthology, but it's it's not really Tarantino-influenced at all. Not a bad movie, though. 11-14. 11-14. Would you think 11-14? Is that the one with Patrick Swayze? Yeah, and and Hilary Swank. That one could be uh, considered a Tarantino-like thing, but it it takes place in the night. Yeah. In one night. It's just something about this very specific attitude that you're looking for. Those movies aren't hipster there, there has to be almost like a hipster quality to the movies like maybe something yeah. like we're so cool and this ironic like oh we're gonna wear ringer t-shirts we're gonna go to a swing place you know it's still like 
stuff that was purposely. Uh, but then Go was considered yeah, a Tarantino. Really? Because I don't see that. I don't either, dude. I don't know. But it happens in chapters, or no, in, that doesn't like, mean you it. focus on segments. That's that's the Tarantino nature yeah. of it, and it also happens over one night. I so guess, but I would like to the s- one night thing. Pulp Fiction happened in one day, right? So maybe that's the conceit as well. Yeah, but I don't see the but, '70s attitude and that. I don't know. I, I, I'm not. No, that's real borderline. If you're gonna include it, I, that's real borderline. I'm not okay, including Okay, good. We're gone. We're out. <laughs> Let's go to the other thing. So, the next film. Things to do in Denver when you're dead. Hey, I have to tell you about Jimmy the Saint. Jimmy the Saint was a good man. You're different, Jimmy. You got decency. Who left behind a bad world. You glide. I glide? You glide. It's a very attractive quality. You're a thing to be amazed by. Then one day, the old boss forced him back. Why me? I got a call in the note. What do you want done? It's just an action. It's not a piece of work. Look at this. All the pig brothers from back in the day. One shot deal. We're in, we're out. Are you in? Absolutely. Yeah. You're still crazy, man. Well, I am what I am. It would be smooth. Bill, you're going to be with Jimmy in the moving van. Bring the kid there, we scare him, and that's it. It would be easy. How's it looking, big man? Looking good. It would be the biggest mistake. Can I see some ID, please? He ever made. Don't you get ID! You got 48 hours. Leave Denver. Now, time is running out. We already made a call. G.I. El Paso and Mr. Shush, the most lethal contract killer west of the Mississippi. And he's got 48 hours. Buckwits. Buckwits for all of us, Jimmy. Even you. To make the wrong things right. I met someone. I don't want her hurt. Didn't you learn nothing from me? We don't stand up for each other. We're gone. He went to his brothers out of Albuquerque even called in. Andy Garcia, Christopher Lloyd, Treat Williams, William Forsythe, Gabrielle Anwar, Bill Nunn, Jack Warden, Feruza Balk, and Christopher Walken. You know I could look at you forever. I wouldn't have to do anything else. Things to do in Denver when you're dead. 1995, I thought this was a little bit later, but 1995, Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead, has the stunt old man casting. First is Jack Warden, who was an old actor and ended up being an old TV actor for a while in the, in the 70s, I think. And then in 95, they put him in this as the guy who is the glossary. I gotta tell you, I am fine with it until I start thinking about it, and then I start thinking, I really don't need to know what all these terms are. I can pick it up myself. It's a movie that thinks it's cooler than the room, and that's a big problem. There, there's interesting things in this that I like. Treat Williams' character has a line where he says, I am Which is my favorite line in the movie. He is the best character in this. Here's my problem with it. Part of me loves the fact that they all have weird names. You know, the man with the plan, Sweet Wind, or I can't remember. I, I can't believe I just watched this movie a week ago, and I can't remember the names. But they all have, they all have cool <laughs> nicknames. Easy Wind. Easy Wind. But that's almost part of the problem is that it's trying almost too hard. I can't tell if I should embrace the stylization of all this. Like, this is, like, not of our world. Or kind of roll my eyes at, like, oh, you're trying to one-up somebody with your just, like, ultra-hip. Like, the 
thing with the hands, the touching of the hands. I get it, but I don't. It almost feels like it's on purpose. Like just, it's not an honest moment. But here's the biggest problem I have with the movie is I feel like the Weinstein's, the way that they've always been with movies, were like, we're rushing this out for Christmas. Let's make this as cool and hip as possible. Let's not let this movie breathe. It almost feels like a movie where there's better footage left on the floor that was more appealing to say critics instead of Gen X. Yeah, well, it, this is one that's really it's kind of the yuppie of the bunch. Jimmy the Saint is a guy who's got this business that will not last. <laughs> it's afterlife advice, which you go in and you record advice for your loved ones and then you die. And then they come in and view it at the place of business. This wouldn't last. They would have to upgrade it and upgrade it and upgrade it in order for it to last. And you can just get a little flash drive of this stuff now. Yeah if it was now right. Anyway, I was just thinking about how silly that was. But he's trying to go legit because he was a criminal. Jimmy the Saint. And he was always a good guy, even though he was a criminal. Ugh. The movie is weird because the conceit is there's a the mob boss, the man with the plan, has a, a son who's not all quite there. He's mentally deranged as it is. And he watches a little girl at the beginning of the movie and then he tries to abduct her. Then he gets thrown into jail for a minute. Eventually he gets let out, but he's obsessed. This guy not with the little girl exactly even though why did he get her but he's really obsessed with a broken relationship and he wants his girlfriend back so the man with the plan says hey jimmy the saint go get your crew together scare the boyfriend away and bring the girlfriend back so my son and she can rekindle the relationship if you don't it's buckwheat on you whatever terrible impression it's the dumbest concern. yeah it's also so he dumb. owes them a favor for some reason i i never caught what that why was the reasoning that after all these years that he owed him that he had to do this for him uh it's a john wick sort of thing all he says is he's got, he's got a marker okay so it's the marker is the the favor so walk-in did a favor for andy garcia by letting him go which doesn't normally happen with mobsters, correct? So that's the marker and that he owes him. That's this. probably the marker, okay. yeah. Yeah, here's the thing is, why does he need that crew, that particular crew, that many people? Yeah, pieces, Christopher Lloyd. Why so many people? Pieces, he's got leprosy or something in his... It's actually not leprosy, it's... Circulation. Circulatory right. problem. Which I've seen. So he, There's like, a, loses ha- toes yeah. and fingers. There's a customer who has this. It's nightmarish. Uh, franchise. Why is his name Franchise? William Forsythe. Why is he Franchise? That, What's I, that mean? I, well... I, I don't know, actually. I'm going to tell you. And this is all set around Denver, and Franchise is the redneck of the bunch who lives in a uh, trailer park with his family. Does, you have does he dream Easy of Piggly Wind. Wigglies owning a franchise of <laughs> Hot Nows rallies? <laughs> you have Easy Wind, played by Bill Nunn, who is the big black guy of the bunch. Wasted. Just, I'm not going to say he's a magnificent actor. I really liked him in the job. But good God, there's no reason to have him. No, he has a couple of he has know. a couple just, of good I feel like moments. It's just wasted dialogue. You have you have the whole thing with critical Bill Treat Williams about no. him eating poop. <laughs> His conversation about the poop. <laughs> He's so honest about it. It's just like well, I mean, it's kind of soft. It don't really flavor anything like that. You just put a little piece of poop in your mouth. It's just a little piece of poop. It's kind of spongy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why does no wait wait, right, wait why so, is the franchise? You didn't tell me. I don't know. I don't oh. know. I was asking. See, that's the that's what I'm why. thinking. Is a lot of this stuff isn't said, and a lot of people are like, "Well, you should just be able to read into it or whatever. You don't need it." No, you can't. Out you can't you. with the names. Like, no, you can't with the names. Yeah. But you have Tiny Lister has a cameo, and he plays a guy named House Baby Don. I Cheetle. totally forgot that he was in this when I when I saw it again. I was He's like, "He's a guy oh named God. Rooster, whose whose role is actually to repeat what." 
Glenn Plummer says, who is Baby Sinister, that's his name, they're the guys that actually help Easy Wind out and try to hold him in hiding. Well, okay, so the, the thing goes bad. They don't scare the boyfriend off. They end up killing the boyfriend. Oh, and the girlfriend. So now they're completely screwed. Yes. Here, okay, first off. And they got to pull in, hold on, they got to pull in Steve Buscemi, who plays Mr. Shh. 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 I thought it was Mr. Hush, <laughs> but um, why well, in the yeah. hell did he choose those two? Now, I get a little bit why Treat Williams, because he asked him, but he's smart enough to know he's not. He's not mentally stable enough to do he's this. He's not there. But why Christopher Lloyd? It is plain as day. First off, he's supposed to be this smart. He should have known there had to be a state trooper uniform. Get a state trooper uniform, for Pete's sake. And two, <laughs> you don't have the guy who's like 75 with fingers falling off. Be It just it seems so obvious. And, and I, that's when right. I was like, no, nobody that stupid. Nope. It should have been him and Bill Nunn. Those two are believable as cops. Nobody else, because even William Forsythe, he was not... Uh, why did he even need those five guys? That's the thing I don't understand. Why did they need them? No, no, he didn't. But you also... Well, they're j- it's just slasher movie rules. You need people to kill. Yeah, that's, that's the thing um, that bothered me. It just seems like it's completely useless. But Josh Charles is the boyfriend. I forget yeah, to mention so that. Yeah, it's so smug. Josh Charles, which is... Smug. Yeah, he's really smug, but he's the character you're like, that guy's smart. <laughs> These guys are stupid. Yeah. But at the same time, you have to be like, well, kid, you just had a knife to your throat. You probably want to shut the hell up now. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's too smart for his own good. Now, the female lead in this film is Gabrielle Anwar. She plays a lady named Dagny. She and Andy Garcia's character kind of fall in love. Yeah, I thought that was kind of dull. So I liked his relationship more with Feruza Balk. Yeah. That, no, that was actually a really cool thing because he's Jimmy the Saint and you actually get to see why he's a saint. Yeah. Because he's caring for the, the people who are down. And maybe that's actually the whole thing. It's maybe that's it. Jimmy the I Saint guess, caring Yeah, people, I guess it's because but, he wanted to give them all a big paycheck because a lot of them were down and out. Maybe that's yeah. it. But just, just the picking, picking those two was the dumbest thing. Dumbest thing. Now, Christopher Walken. This was the role when I saw it for the first time where I was like, oh, this guy plays evil like super well, like so good. And then right after that, like Joe Dirt comes out and I'm like, he's already making fun of himself <laughs> for playing evil. Well, he was on that, that sprint where he had signed a deal with Miramax. He had done Pulp Fiction. Well, no, he was in True Romance, which was a, a Miramax co-production. Yeah. So it's, it's True Romance. Pulp, it's the cameo in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, Pulp Fiction, which romance. I did as a monologue in acting class. <laughs> Have I told you? I told you the story, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not going through it again. It's too embarrassing. Then he did the prophecy, and then this. So he right. was like Miramax's go-to. Well, he guy. did a bunch of the prophecy. Yeah, well, yeah. I was gonna say this went on for a while. Uh, but you know, that was when his career was kind of in the dumps. You know, he had only had I think what uh, King of New York and a whole ten-year span where people actually liked what he was doing. It was pretty embarrassing. And Miramax basically like said, "This is our go-to guy. We'll sign you to a contract." That's the one thing I do enjoy about the Weinstein's that they were kind of loyal to actors for a while. They wouldn't just get them for one movie. They would sign them and get them in a bunch of projects and get yeah. them work. And I think that's why you know they got such good actors for a while because they knew they could get a couple years worth of work out of being with them. And this is kind of the revival of Christopher Walken. I think he knew though by the time the Suicide Kings rolled around that he was being he's going back down that slide again. And then he does the brilliant thing, or somebody saw the brilliance in putting him in a comedic role in Mouse Hunt, and that slowly started to oh, right, change yeah. things. No. That's true. Mouse Hunt is Gore Verbinski's first film. Gore Verbinski, side track, slight 
It's not going to be long. Gore Verbinski is an art house director for the masses. Yes, I've been wanting to do an episode about his movies for a while. You know, Sans Pirates. All right. Well, yeah, yeah. here's a little seed. Gore Verbinski. There's your seed. Maybe we'll do it. Yeah, so so you're right. Yeah. Comedic role where he plays a wacky old dude hunting a mouse and he can't do yeah. it. But this is um, the heart. Like everybody else. This is the heart of when he was like the go-to villain in all these kind of movies. And uh, God, do you remember how hard they pushed this movie? They really, really wanted this to be a big hit. I saw the trailer for this like 15 times in the theaters. Not on video, theaters. And then they got wow. cold feet because I guess it got a bad reception oh. at some film festival. It, it, it also has, like, especially the movie couldn't be made or come out now. It couldn't. With the language that's in it, with the racial epithets. Yes. And slurs against various kinds of folk. The movie would have the hardest time being made now. And if it was to be made, ironically, it would probably be uh, really super duper low budget. Yeah. Not the same cast. No, no, no. This would be a VOD. Made in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> made in well, no, Canada, it probably would be the same cast. Scarier, it probably right? would be the exact same cast because this did help a lot of people. You know, but it did help Treat Williams. Remember, after this, everybody was talking about Treat Williams. It's like the only thing that came out positive was this. It's like, who is this guy? Well, he didn't. Because he. Treat got. Phantom. He got the Phantom, and then he got a Deep Rising. And Devil's Own. So. He was the main villain in Devil's Own, which was supposed to be a big hit, but it just didn't do it. So he got like four or five years off of this, and he's the one who basically got the. He's the underrated actor that a director discovered. They tried to push, like Travolta, and it just didn't work out the same way. But I love Treat Williams. I am a sucker for those substitute movies. <laughs> They're terrible. Yeah, I know. So much fun. I know. I, it's because of him. It's because he's playful and fun and in a really shitty movie. He does this a lot. Like, really bad movie, but he's fun. Yeah. He's the most frustrating character in the movie, but he's also the most fun yeah. performance. It just, in the movie. I, it bothers me. I don't want to go too far into this because I almost feel like we shouldn't ruin this, but it, it has kind of a bleak ending, which I kind of appreciate. Well, that's another staple of Tarantino movies. A lot of them seem to have these kind of endings where it goes bad. And the whole time I was so angry with Andy Garcia, but I'm like, dude, just go already. Stop screwing up. Just these, these yeah. people are self destructive. Move out of the way. Yeah, just go. Yeah, I, I'm not going to say I like the movie. Uh, the Steve Buscemi stuff where he's the hitman was actually pretty fun because it's a little skinny dude. Yeah. And the one scene where he's in the bar, he kind of goes John Wick on everybody before that style of fighting. It's, it put it this way: it's just very efficient. Right, kill him, punch him. That's the, the option. And it's of what you saw back then. Is, but this is what everybody's doing: the slow mo, double guns, and he's just like, no, yeah, yeah. One gun. And, uh, well, that's interesting that you point out that they didn't do any of that double gun stuff and the slow mo stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. This was a big point for the, the director and the writer, though, because I think the first for both of them, Gary Flitter, the director, and Scott Rosenberg, the writer, they got so much work after this. It's amazing because a movie that just... What'd they do? Uh, Gary Flitter, off the top of my head, I know had done Imposter right after this, I think, and did Runaway Jury... Scott Rosenberg, uh, one of the Bruckheimer go-to guys, he signed a deal with Hollywood Pictures. I want to say that he wrote Gross Point Blank. Ooh, I love Gross Looking Point Blank. Looking up Gary Flutter. Now, I think Gary Flutter's career is basically taking a downturn. He's just doing TV now. I've heard the mechanisms oh, of TV. Uh, don't say downturn. Well, TV from what, is the what, new cinema. Yeah, well, Kevin Smith told me, or told me, yeah, told me personally. <laughs> what an idiot. Just, <laughs> pretend I didn't say that. That's embarrassing. No, he was just talks about it on his podcast all the time. He goes, I do a lot of TV, but I'm basically just there to go, yeah, no, done. And everybody knows it's like a whole system where they don't really need you. Oh, I see, I see. 
course of training. Yeah, you don't get to be a, an auteur type of vision director unless you have a kind of project that needs that. Yeah. Oh, wow, Gary Flutter has done okay, eight so... Holy schmollies. Okay, so movie-wise, he did Kiss the Girls after this, but he did Don't Say a Word, Imposter. That seems like a weird trajectory, back down to Imposter, which I kind of like, but it's a mess. Runaway Jury, The Express. So, you know, he worked for quite a bit after this. Well, it seems like they got a career out of this. Yeah, a this, movie that made like a million dollars. Oh, Scott Rosenberg writes the Jumanji movies, so he's still red hot even now. All right, well, he got better. Definitely got better. <laughs> I'll tell you that. I wonder what he did right after this. He did uh, Beautiful Girls, Con Air, Disturbing Behavior, High Fidelity, Gone in 60 Seconds, Imposter, A Highway. You know, Highway reminded me of Love in 45. That like, really frenetic, crazy energy that that movie had, especially with the Jerry Yeah, but, but but Highway doesn't have any of that weird visuals. No. It, it's some, actually very stylish in itself. Yeah, something about it. But it's not the weird me. visuals like... It's just two guys on on a road trip. I, I kind of like Highway and I kind of don't. I don't know. I've got to watch it again. But the next film, Two Days in the Valley. On the day it happened, two vice cops were doing their duty. This is a nice place to live. I would like to keep it that way. A woman was living on the edge. You've never done that before. An art dealer was falling apart. the director was ready to call it quits but a murder was one way to bring them all together get comfortable help help he's dead and i need to call the police lady we are the police this is where you get out boys stay right you killed him a story of intrigue. What's going on? This guy's holding us hostage. Greed. What are you going to do? I'm going to get our money. Surgery. You don't have to be that homely. I'd pay for implants and liposuction, but don't take it as an insult. Coincidence. My partner and I discovered this crime scene this morning. Uh, I think that Becky Fox might be in on this. Really? Ten people in L.A. One moment in time. Time's up. Two days in the valley. How unbelievably. I'm a straight man, but I would totally let James Spader have his way with me. <laughs> he is very attractive. <laughs> oh, this man is James way. Spader, 1996. So between 1996 and 2001, James Spader was like a super hot looking yeah. dude. Well, it's also like he was just making a lot of really interesting movies that made no money. <laughs> he had so much success in 94 with Stargate and Wolf that he became mm-hmm. a leading man again because he was starting to dip down a little bit. And then he just did all these like noir movies and crime stuff and of course Supernova yeah. being legendary for basically destroying his career and pretty much everybody involved. But he looks so good, sure. Right? <laughs> like again, Jay Spader. Do whatever you want. I don't care. I'll get aspirin tomorrow. <laughs> uh, okay. This is my favorite of lunch. Uh. This is this a is, lot. This of is fun. your favorite. Yes, okay. I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed it when it first came out too. All right. No, Danny Aiello really gets on my last nerves. Okay, so Danny Aiello and James Spader are two hitmen who are trying to shake down somebody in some way. It's kind of I don't want to go over the plot too heavy. You do it. You do it. Uh, you yeah, do this it. is basically they're yeah. they're working with Terry Hatcher, but you don't know they're working with Terry Hatcher. They they killed. <laughs> 
like do Peter Horton killed Peter her Horton husband. or whatever, but try to make it look like it was just ex-husband. Yeah, ex-husband. They're trying to make it look like an accident, and she's completely innocent. They don't tell you this for a while. I'm ruining the movie for everybody. No, well, the the whole movie is uh, the tapestry, the Tarantino tapestry. Yes, definitely, where you're but... bouncing in and out of characters, a lot of devious characters, and and a lot of the innocent characters are messed up. Like the guy, uh, he's a director, Paul. I want to say it's Mazlansky. Mazursky. Mazursky. Uh, in a rare, he plays the director. Yeah, yeah, so he's kind of. I don't remember him ever being an actor outside of this, but he's pretty good. He's suicidal. He hasn't had a hit in forever, and people always like when they know who he is. He's like, oh yeah, it's been a while since you had a hit. Whatever happened to you? That's the worst thing. I I can't believe I've seen this. I've heard this happening. People are like, so whatever happened to you, dude? I'm literally standing in front of you. What do you think? Ha- I'm here. Stop it. I'm just trying to. Eh. What happened to you? <laughs> We're going down into Seven Eleven. Shut up. But it's it's really depressing, and he's you know suicidal, and that's a big arc in this is that he has a little gun with him to kill himself. It plays into the rest of the movie. Trust me. James Spader and Danny Aiello. 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 Yeah. D- Danny Jaiello <laughs> have a falling out. It, not really a falling out. It was always kind of planned, right? Because he was kind of a low risk. It's rent. totally the, yeah. It's a double cross. Yeah. He was just. a guy to, to pin it on I think. right and to set him up and and he doesn't die in this, in this he gets shot in the car gets thrown off the road or whatever he survives but he's car blows yeah, up yeah and, but he, and doesn't. he wanders off to this lady's house he takes her hostage and all the characters kind of congeal around this and then you have the 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 other story with james spader and he's back with his girlfriend and charlie's throne and i think this is her first movie I, it's her first role. yeah i know she was an extra in children of the corn three urban harvest let's not let's yes <laughs> that's true how do i that is true. This is her first lead, and I'll tell you, not into her. Nope, nope, awful. Uh, she gets a lot better I, with time. I mean, as an actor, she gets a lot better in time, yes. but how they're presenting her well, is the Well, yeah, they, they, that's a film? big thing. Everybody was talking not about this. They were like, oh, she's this new girl, and she's really hot, she's really naked. And that was kind of where they pigeonholed her for a while. A lot. She's only kind of naked, to be well, honest. Well, it's because I remember she, the movies after that. She seemed to get cast a lot about, for the next five years... In I mean, sexual the, roles. what was the next well, one? Like, the next one was like Devil's Advocate, and I think she was naked she in that, that, but it was also yeah. just more tender. It wasn't right, but that that seemed to that. happen a lot back then. It's like an actress would show up nude in a movie, and all of a sudden everybody's insane about her, not even focusing on her talent. I honestly thought that Charlize Theron was going to burn out. Like, they were going to toss her aside after, like, five years. And then she just showed up, and she just like, look, I'm, I'm a hell of an actress, and she's proven herself. I mean, she's basically... Oh, yeah, she has act- proven herself. She's an action star. I it's do great. like the Mad Max film. Yes, very much so. I'm not, I'm not big on her. But then there's a movie that she did called Young Adult, in which I was just floored by her performance yes, and the writing. I, of it. I'm really and I excited. Had no idea I because see... it's a Diablo Cody movie, yeah. so oh, yeah. like that. Uh, Long shot looks very interesting to me. It looks like she's having fun doing that. She started in this film. Right. And she has a lot to carry in this film, and I think Terry Hatcher actually does the heaviest lifting as far as between the two of those characters and their characters that need to be in the scenes with each other you know what i mean right They're and her turn is important. important because she has to be believable in the fact that she doesn't know anything that's going on you know and that she's completely innocent and then she's trying to cover it up and then at the same time she's now stuck in the situation where she's being held hostage by she's thrown then she has to fight her then take off and i thought yeah i thought her role was probably the most layered i thought jeff daniels was a little wasted i thought there's a lot of potential and, and i thought oh, he's totally wasted yeah and eric stoltz look, is a straight jeff up daniels. dumb in this one and i was like I'm yeah not sure i like this daniels is a cop who's 
schlubby. He's working vice with Eric Stoltz, and he it just went through a divorce. His wife has moved out, or the separation, or something like this. He has got a kid, but he doesn't even know what to do with the kid as far as like connecting with them. So he buys him like junk toys for his birthday, that sort of thing. His exit to the film. <laughs> He's got such a trajectory where you think that things are going to culminate and maybe he's going to get killed or something and make it a tragic story for him. And that exit, it was just like, you're fired by the cops. And then he just sits down. And the end of his story, which is just weird. Yeah. Like, that's where it went? Okay, maybe they just had to write him out because he was like, that's the only amount of time that they had for him. Right, I gotta go like, fly, like, uh, do that fly away again movie or something. It was right at the same time. <laughs> it's possible they could have only okay. got him for a couple weeks. That's why I wonder about Keith Carradine. I was a little surprised they killed him off and he was only in it for like maybe five minutes. Right, okay, so, so the stunt stunt casting here, we have Marsha Mason. These are veteran actors, so Marsha Mason. Paul Mazursky, as you mentioned, he's the older director guy. Danny Aiello, was he a stunt? No, he's a veteran. Yeah, he, but he, is he just... He was still around, though. He was still doing, like, yeah, studio yeah. movies. So Keith Carradine was a cameo. Uh, Louise Fletcher was a cameo. Like, I get Louise Fletcher and Marsha Mason confused a lot, even though they don't look alike. I don't okay. know why I constantly got them confused. You've got to have an, a Tarantino ripoff. You have to pilfer his actors. Absolutely. You have to and have here, at least one. There is a glimpse, a very brief moment with Lawrence Tierney in it from Reservoir Dogs. Well, we're missing a big one, though. We're missing Eric Stoltz. Oh, of course, Eric Stoltz. I mean, Lawrence Tierney is the most glaring. Yeah, that was like one minute. We got to have available for an hour. (laughs) I mean, we already mentioned Eric Stoltz. Yeah. Just as an actor in it. Which I feel like he was too old for this role. I feel like he was supposed to be a lot younger. Like he was a brand new kind of. Okay. A A rookie. Yeah. And I I just, I look at him and go, hey, you're like 33. No, but he was a young detective. Yes. I don't even know how that works. No, he was a young detective. How does that work for the real world? I feel like every movie and TV show, they're detectives at 22. And that's probably not realistic. No. No. No, no, that's not realistic okay. at all. So he was a young detective. Uh, young detectives, 31 is fine. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, but he's also a young vice detective. He's not even gone up to, to homicide. And he wants to go up to homicide, but he's not that good. No. Which is the point of him being such a dumb dumb. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the, the thing that really sells this for me is just James Spader's so cool. And I mean the literal. I mean, I, people misuse the word cool all the time. Cool is supposed to be someone who is cool and calm emotionally, like disconnected, which is something, honestly, you probably should admire. Steve McQueen is not the kind of guy that you're like, yeah, I kind of get him. He's a really nice guy. No, he was cool, calm, and collected, and he was a little disconnected. Right. Uh, did you notice that Michael J. White was in this movie? Yes, for like a minute. He's the one with the car, right? Yeah, oh. he's he's outside the gay club, I... and he steals... A car. Yeah, this is before. But he spawn. also saves one of the main characters or one of the okay. ensemble I'm, cast members. I've never had a kidney stone. Yeah. But, so, no, they're crippling. Really? So they're that? He wasn't overacting? It was really that insane? No, it can be. Wow. I mean, it all depends on how big it is. People have had. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So the guy has a kidney stone, collapses in the middle of the street. Nobody's helping him. Michael Jai White picks him up, throws him into the car that he just stole, and then takes him to the hospital and leaves him there. That's Michael Jai White's role. And, but Michael Jai White, I believe, plays a gay dude as well. Because when he talks, he has this affect to his voice. And it might be a dumb stereotype, but I think that that was his choice. of like He was a patron of that club, but also a thief. So. Yeah. Anyway, so you like this one the most, probably? <laughs> yeah, we're, this is a low level, dude. This is like... 
<laughs> it's like when we talk about the space movies. It's, it's not a, the alien ripoff movies. It's not like these are on a top 1,000 for me. <laughs> but the next one, the final one, Thursday. I gotta get out. Can't do that. What are you gonna do? Is it Nick? No more. I'm gonna go back to school, get a degree, find a girl, get married. I'm gonna be a normal guy. Oh, shit. I can hear Middle America calling my name. I am not a drug dealer. It's been four years. I'm coming through Houston tomorrow morning. I was hoping I could stay a couple days, you know? <laughs> you want a beer? When's the last time you had a beer at 8 in the morning? <laughs> Mind if I borrow your car? Help yourself. I want to know what kind of drugs you were on to make you think you could bring smack into my house. Sorry, Case, time's up. Gotta go. Say, man, you got the wrong house. I didn't order any pizza. You know what happens oh. if I pull this trigger? You may paint my ceiling. Got any idea what I can do with these? Just a minute. Can I help you? My friend of Nick's. I'm a little busy. I want the two mil, Casey. Detective Kazarov. May I come in? I really quite like. Except, I'll tell you, it's kind of visually flat. Which, when you look at who the, the cinematographer was, you'd expect it to be not as <laughs> Who was flat it? Was it Bill, was it Bill Pope? <laughs> it's a French dude. Oh, okay. It's a, yeah, I know, it's not Bill Pope. <laughs> that would be crazy. It's a French guy. Now, Thursday was directed by Skip Woods. It's his only movie, I do believe. Well, let's just say this. The only movie he's directed, he has written an unbelievable amount of garbage. I cannot believe this guy has worked as much as he has for major studios in major movies that have all been complete garbage. He has one good movie. I don't like... He's I, I don't, a I, script I, doctor. I, no, yeah. no, I don't think he's a script doctor. I think he's the main guy. And the only movie of his that works is because two other guys took over during production, and yet he gets the almost the main credit it was a team because joe carnahan brian bloom came in and gutted it they kept the skeleton so he got credit of course but they changed all the dialogue and they boofed you know beefed up the boofed <laughs> they farted on him. boofed up <laughs> they boofed up the action sequences <laughs> and i don't like him he ruined die hard forever no i like didn't. to wait now wait no wait, the franchise live free let me he ruined wait, the franchise live free and die hard is which one no, fourth one is rad i love timothy all yeah i love that one fourth is rad that's he, the one that he did he did no 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 i'm no, looking no, no. at his filmography uh, almost, no, i'm on wiki skip was did the fifth one the uh die hard no, or f no, off like no oh hey, hey he did both did he, did he do both. okay listen Listen, yes. his filmography goes like this. 98, Thursday, director, screenwriter, co-producer. 2001, Swordfish, screenwriter. Oh, the movie I hate the most. I've never hated a movie. 2007, <laughs> Live Free or Die Hard, screenwriter, additional dialogue, really? uncredited. Okay. 2007, Hitman, screenwriter. 2009, X-Men Origins, yeah. screenwriter. <laughs> Look, as much as that movie's bad and dumb and you might hate it, literally, at the time, it wasn't so oh, terrible. It was kind of fun. He did not write for Live Free or Die Hard. It says here he wrote dialogue for Bruce Willis and Live Free or Die I Hard. I said additional dialogue what? uncredited. <laughs> I'm just reading it as yeah, it but is. But it wasn't used. 
it wasn't used in the movie. It was used in A Good Day to Die Hard. Ah, interesting. That's weird. X-Men Origins Wolverine, I said. A-Team, as you said. Screenwriter. Good Day to Die Hard, which is terrible. I hate it. Sabotage. Not into it. That one was really Also, just not a, I'm not a big David Ayer guy. Nah. I mean, he can direct a movie. <laughs> well. That kind of talent over uh, a lot of other guys. But uh, Hitman, Agent... 47 which i have yet to see which is the i, I feel like uh, i watched it but i watched it the same Batman. exact time i watched the transporter refueled and i can't remember which one's which oh transporter refueled he's with his daddy that's the difference it's a, it's a prequel, right? <laughs> uh, no, it's a reboot. All right, whatever. That's why it's called Refueled. Oh, yeah, Skip Woods. Thursday. This, this, this isn't horrible, but I have some things that no, I have a huge not. problem it's... with. What? That cop stops him to talk about Star Trek, and I was like, you assholes. Yeah, you there you go. Like, so you're like, movie. That's it. That's the not the major, because it, this is broken up, and the chapters are time stamps, yeah. basically. Thursday at 8 a.m., Thursday at... 4 p.m. You know, that sort right. of timestamp. So those are the little chapters. So that's the chapter break you can see. The massive cast is the other, which isn't even that massive, but it is interesting. Thomas Jane is the main character. So Aaron Eckert So is... unbelievably pretty in this movie. It's astonishing. <laughs> he is like a walking flower in this movie. Like, this, his head looks like I could just, like, pull little bits out of make wishes. <laughs> Aaron Eckert and Thomas Jane look related. They do. I thought they were brothers. I honestly thought they were brothers till the end. They do look like brothers. Like Thomas Jane's forehead, it comes out actually a little bit more more forward and higher yeah. than Aaron Eckert's. We, LB and I had this discussion while we were watching this movie last. And Aaron Eckert's head slopes back. His forehead slopes back more. But they have very similar noses. They both have the cleft in the chin. Their eyes are at a similar width. And their mouths. Yeah, they look like they came from the same parents. It's crazy. Paulina Portskova, James Legro, Indy, darling. Oh. Him and Eric Stoltz must have been in a battle to see who could appear in the most, like, cool independent movies at this time. Yeah, Paula Marshall, who we don't see him very often. Michael Jeter, who is always awesome Fantastic. and hilarious. I loved him in this. Glenn Plummer, who isn't like half of isn't these. Quite, he? he feels like he's yeah, in he's half in, these pop movies. He's in half of the, He's not quite a Tarantino, but he's in Tarantino knockoffs. It's off. like the way that like uh, Matt Dillon was pseudo brat back. Like, oh, well, he wasn't in the core three movies, but he was in a lot of movies with those guys. Yeah, and Mickey Rourke. The, post mutilated face Mickey Rourke. Yeah, this is the... I don't know. Did Mickey work in a bike accident or something? What no, happened? no. He was a boxer. And he got his face basically beaten to a pulp that started forming scar tissue and changing how his face was. That's what it was. You didn't know that? Boxer. I was shocked by this. I knew that he was a amateur boxer. No, I didn't know that he was a... But like, he did it a lot for a few years' period of time. If you look at his filmography, there's a four-year gap where he only worked. God, it might even be longer than that, where he only worked just to pay the bills. What, like fall time? Fall time oh, was right. also where he was still pretty, right? I, yeah. I feel like he started boxing before that, but maybe the scar tissue had picked up. I thought that he White Sands was the one where he stopped. Like that was the last thing he did for a few years. Then he did Fall Time, so that might be in the middle just to pay the bills. And then it's then all of a sudden he shows up in um, I want to say it was Double Team, and all of a sudden like that's Mickey Rourke. Oh yeah. Yeah, He's yeah. got like 70 That's pounds of muscle. Like, and that also changes your my face. My goodness. It really does. If you if you start burning off all your calories and you start getting like really ripped, it changes the structure of your face. So that doesn't help either. Yeah. Mickey Rourke. What a strange guy. Yeah. And here he plays... Uh, this is the thing that I thought that ripped off the professional because he plays a kind of Gary Oldman's kind of corrupt cop. 
and it's very momentary and it's not nearly as explosive as in the professional I think it's weird. with Gary Oldman we have- going everyone everyone you know? <laughs> hey, how how come we have never done a Luke Besson episode? I'm, I'm actually shocked by this. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We've been at this five years. <laughs> it's kind of strange. We've never even talked a single one of his movies, have we? Not one. Uh, I'm not sure. Hmm. Fifth Element? No, because a lot of his movies are top tier and, po- and popular. Super popular. Well, we, we, we dive into that sometimes. But go ahead. Sometimes. Okay, so Thomas Jane wants to get it. He's been out of the life for a long time, but his buddy comes to Houston, Texas is a big place. Texas is a reference a lot in Tarantino's work, but I don't think he does movies in Texas, but he lives in Texas. He does? Yeah, he Makes lives sense. Makes sense because Robert Rodriguez and him are best buds. Troublemaker Studio is down in Austin as well, but Rodriguez is from San Antonio. Anyway, Texas is a reference in Tarantino stuff, but he, I don't think he's ever made it. Oh, yeah. No? That was Tennessee, wasn't it? What? Dang. Death Proof. Yeah, I was going to say Dust Till Dawn, but I forgot that was shot in Mexico. So that doesn't work either. But it always seems like there's something about Texas. It always seems to be an influence on a lot of these. There's a lot of sheriffs and stuff like that. You know, we were, we were shit kicking, kind of big buckle sheriffs, usually played by Michael <laughs> Parks. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I can't believe we're almost Wonderful at an hour. Let me say this. I was with Thomas Jane until the flashback, and then I was like, boy, he's saying the N word a lot. Oh, he murders all these people. Right. Okay. Yeah, I but there's two ways that it's shot. No, 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 no. She tells this really sexy story. Pauline Portskova comes in. And she's in this pleather outfit. Oh, right. And she that doesn't just, necessarily mean it's true. The Michael Jeter guy is there to do an interview with Thomas Jane because his wife is out of town. But he has to do this interview to see if he's a fit potential father for an adopted kid. And she comes in, Paulina, and ruins it all by telling this crime tale that she heard Aaron Eckert tell so many times. And it is this sexy, sexed up, not no sex involved in it, but I'm just using the term euphemistically, I suppose. Or a romanticized version of a deal gone bad. And yeah, he uses the N-word all over it, and he's terrible. And he does the double gun wielding, and he shoots up a bunch, everybody in the place... And they run off with the drugs. But what you can trust really happened, which came from Thomas Jane's character, who has been trustworthy this whole time. Later, the story is, he, he retells it, and it's messy. It's all kinds of gross and messy. There's no none of that sexy stuff going on. And he's like, I'm out. I gotta go. I gotta get out. I can't do this anymore. This is horrible. So I forgot about that. I'm sorry. I watched, this is another reason why I gotta cut down on my podcast. I watch like 80 movies a week for these shows. And I forget what's what. Yeah, well, I forgot. I was like, that doesn't necessarily mean the story is true. I totally, I was thinking that at the time. And then I totally forgot until now. The most wonderful story of all, which is not wonderful actually do you recall that paulina porskova rapes thomas yes and if he comes she will kill him i thought and he doesn't i thought that i thought that he could but he couldn't stop until she did that's the thing is i thought i must have missed that i thought i thought thought he had to go like three times he just kept going and whatever and she still hadn't hit her moment the thing is he didn't no yeah if she doesn't get to but he blows then she's gonna kill him. Okay, okay. And it's it's actual rape. She's at gunpoint. Oh, totally. he, yeah. he, he doesn't want it. He's happy. Well, happily married as a happily married can be without actually being teetering on divorce, which is what he is. He's he's got a couple of like issues with his wife, but they're nothing big. Her business, her company, whatever is taking her away from him but he's okay he's an architect as well so he's doing all right but then this situation happens and also the the great glenn Plummer scene <laughs> he comes in and he's supposed to kill him because uh jane flushes all the drugs 
Right, because he doesn't know what's in the suitcase, and he finds out, and he's really furious, and he decides to dump it because he doesn't want it in his house. Problem is, he doesn't realize it's been stolen, right, by... Uh... It's stolen from Mickey Rourke, the cop. Right, okay. It's supposed to be delivered back to Mickey Rourke, and it's 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 like fed drugs or whatever. Anyway, Glenn Plummer is also an aspiring reggae rapper. <laughs> they get high. And that scene, yeah, they get so high, but that scene is really funny and sad because Glenn Plummer's like, finally, uh, dude, I'm going to have to kill you. And then he gets a call from his agent saying, I'm here with the producer and he wants to hear your stuff. He's like, oh crap, Uh, put the tape on, the blue tape, press play, and then he starts rapping over the phone. (laughs) And then he gets killed, of course. He's like, you should sign him because he's, he's, he's about to go up. His worth is about to go up. Well, he actually doesn't kill him. He hangs right, him. Right, right. I, I, that's not Eventually. that's not my favorite scene, though. I really do believe there is something so special about that scene with him and Michael Jeter trying to hide the stuff. and the, the, the It's almost like a wacky sitcom, and it reminded me of another movie just now that had kind of a similar wacky, you know, hiding stuff that had Tarantino influence. The, What's the big that? hit. Mm, I hate the big I hit. I know though. you do, and that's that. I I, 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 I love it. Um, you and I talked about about doing uh, John Woo uh, produced movies for like half a second. We were like, nope, 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 nope. Okay, nope. Right. <laughs> All right, never mind. <laughs> And that's a big hit, but I uh, know I get it. Big hit has a, a sort of ensemble sort of thing. You can say that it's it's in the wake the, of... in the pop culture references. The fact that King Kong escapes, <laughs> King Kong lives or whatever. I don't know how big of the wake wave behind Tarantino's stuff like hit big hit. I don't know how big of it splashed on the big hit, yeah. but yeah, the big hit had some. I see what you're saying. Thursday, I see, I was looking this up. I had never, this is the only movie I had never heard of. You said this and I was like, oh, well, yeah. And then, and you know, it's really hard for me to not, I mean, at least I'll, I may not have seen it, but I know something about it. And I was like, what yeah. in the hell is Thursday? And I'm like, this is Thomas Jane and Aaron Eckhart. I've never heard of this. It got released on, I really like it. was it. like six screens. Because uh, It was also released on, I think, Pioneer blue dvd wow. i wish there was a blue yeah. of it but Prop- i it, the dvd was screwed up listen to this okay i went to circuit city and this is how i found it i was at circuit city and i was just looking at dvds as i do and this was just sitting there and then it said director's cut on the top of it and on the back it had some sort of note that it said commentary and i was into that sort of thing back then so i was like fine i'll buy it and it was 14 bucks the disc didn't have the commentary there was no commentary at all nothing it was like you couldn't access it. It was just the movie. And I was like, well, fine. The movie's good. I like the movie. But, okay. So, the movie became very rare on DVD. So rare that I ended up selling it. You know, every time I try to do that on eBay, I never get what it's really worth. It was worth hundreds, and I got $48. Yeah, that, that's definitely happened to me, too. Like, oh, I'm going to be able to so, pay rent. Nope, I am not. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, but I do like Thursday. Plenty. I like it a lot. But you are still going to have to hunt for it. What, me personally? I'm not going to go hunt for this movie. No, no, not you. I'm talking about the listener, sir. Yeah, this is one of those. I looked it up. The history of it was Polygram was just about to switch over to some other company. I think Universal was going to buy it and it became USA Films. And USA, Universal Studios was not interested in this movie whatsoever. So right before they closed down, they just put it on like six screens. It made $1,600. And I don't even think Universal has the video rights. I think somehow they just didn't want anything to do with it because it was so bloody. I think it got... Huh. Wasn't it like, didn't it get an X rating or NC-17 rating for gore or something like that? And that's why there's a director's cut. Well, dude, the rape scene. Well, that and the gore. 
There's just so much blood in a couple parts of it. Um, like when he blows her head off and it splatters all over the place. Um, but this right, is one of those. Right. I, there, think, that. I think that's why it's lost is because it, it went from being, this is so confusing, it went from being Gramercy to Polygram to USA Films. And then all of it was collected yeah. up and then put into Universal. Okay, so I wonder if the rights just reverted to Skip. Maybe I, that, that or I know that whoever financed it in the first place. It's available in Europe, but as DVD. This had to have right. been a low-budget movie. I was, there's no music clips, as far as I know, right? There's no like hit songs and stuff like that. There's no. There's, I don't think there's so. no big names. This is all basically one location. I would bet you this cost half a million dollars. So it's possible Skip Woods might have been able to raise the money on his own. This might have been a negative pickup. Mm. But that's that's our picks. Those are our picks i my favorite is thursday but yours is i really like the character interactions on thursday a lot so that's really where it is for me but yours is of the four yeah i did two days two days, two days. a lot of it is because i'm a big fan of john hersfield a guy who's just been okay. cast aside he's a really good director who just has had no success he just every time people start talking about him again the movie tanks and then he just disappears I swear by mm. 15 minutes is a unbelievably good uh, cop thriller. Okay. All right. Well, that's it, everybody. There's plenty more. Do your own research, but those are our picks. Yeah, there's a lot of Tarantino ribos around this time. <laughs> I thought about it like, <laughs> wow, Dennis Leary's liking a few of these. And like, how many, did, how many were these that were straight to video or barely released? And then, of course, you have to argue. That's why we set the rules. There has to be certain things. That copy. It can't just be a mafia movie. It can't be like a hipster movie. Yeah. It has to have these certain right? elements. It can't be swingers. I mean, yeah, a lot of it, I would say Thursday is kind of on the borderline it's only because like the stupid thing where he stops and says the thing about star trek and just and the chapter break yeah and so that one and the double crossing yeah that the double crossing and the rotation of characters in and out of this right and got, because it's a, it's also like a bottle episode because this is in one location this is house right very few moments are in other locations so it's a little bit different all right everybody i'm uh, just going to announce we're going to take a brief break so we'll be back around halloween time for another installment of monster whatever and thanks for everybody supporting us sharing the episodes uh, you know whatever works <laughs> for us works for you hopefully and we're just going to take a slight pause I'm a little overwhelmed with podcasting right now and just kind of want to breather and you need it <laughs> yep see ya everybody bye <laughs>